Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Fitzvenge. Fitzvenge. <laughs> it is mine. It is It's yours. It's mine. Okay. Oh, you didn't think I could come up with that, huh? Why? You're, you're a quarterback. I'm blonde. What? Yeah, I, I am offended. <laughs> Oh, that's right. That disrespectful human being is back again. It's Paul Burmeister. Jeez, I mean, two weeks in a row, you thought QB Jeopardy would be too hard, and I couldn't get any of them. Uh, Now you don't think I can make up Fitzvenge. I mean, wow. That was my my, my exact thought as I'm listening to that. I'm like, so I was a little doubting on the uh, clever nickname. right. I'm doubting on your quarterback. You're judging the book by its no. cover, totally. You're seeing a blonde football quarterback, and you're going, he can't be that it was, smart. It was a note to self to clean that up a little bit, be, be a little more positive. <laughs> quarterback Jeopardy is coming. Good. I can't way. wait. I'm, and it I'm is ready. hard. Right. And Pete D made it even harder than it needed to be. Yep. Well, yeah. we and, and, and you, I mean, first off, you didn't expect to be doing this podcast. Correct. We we um, Ahmed was supposed to be here. Yep. Little boy's not feeling great, so he's playing it smart, getting tested, so he's not here. You being the ultimate quarterback here, got in, got ready, you're ready to go, ready to talk some ball. So thanks for doing that. Absolutely. You're it's the an man. easy call. I was, I was telling you earlier, yeah. I got a call from one of the bosses in the evening. I'm like, did I? I didn't do it. Is not me? Did I do something wrong? It yeah. was, I was happy to take the, can you come in and hang out with Chris tomorrow? That, that is easy. So. All right, cool. All right. Well, you know what it is. It's Wednesday, and it's What the Fuck Happened podcast time, brought to you by Verizon. Okay? And that's his, I don't know if they want to be involved in that title or not, so we'll just say it's Chris Sims on Button, brought to you by Verizon. And we're going to do some deep dives into football like we always do here on Wednesday. And these are good topics, which, I mean... Uh-oh, here I am again questioning you. Are, are these your picks or are these Pete's picks? No, these are. Uh, this is the collaboration. The peel back the curtain, Sunday yeah. night football, the football night in America gets done. Yep. Walk out of the studio. Matt Casey, who is producer, you know, producer for PFT and all this crap. He's got like happens, nine other yeah. jobs, too. But we usually talk about one or two games where we go, this is, I think we got to hit these games. And then, okay, that's for Monday. And then me, Pete, and Casey get together Monday afternoon, Tuesday, and we start to figure out what are we going to hit on Wednesday. And I think really what we try to do is hit the games or at least the side of the ball that people want to know the most about, that are the most interesting, the most relevant to the league right now as far as playoffs and standings and all those things. And we do our best. We can't hit it all, but I think we're going to hit the, bit, the big ones today. And I think one of the fun parts about Wednesday is we, we kind of carve it up. It's not just a deep dive both sides of the ball kind of cookie-cutter stuff. You come up with kind of questions that are still lingering a couple days later. Right, right. And, Pete, you, you guys did a really good job putting this one together. So let's begin in the AFC South. Cool. 
Titans knock off the Colts 45-26. I think the point of this, or the main question, isn't so much how do they win. I mean, yeah. it's not a giant surprise uh, that they found a way to win in even that series and to go up by one in the division. I think it's how were they so dominant? Yeah, that's what it is. In, You're right. In beating this defense, and it's really Titans offense, Colts defense. How did they dominate that group that's been really good this it's year? It's been really good this year. I think the first thing we talk about is that group that's really good this year. And I don't know if we gave it enough respect on Monday, and I probably didn't give it enough respect leading into the football game, obviously. DeForest Buckner not being there was a huge issue yeah. for them. You know, right. you, you appre- sometimes you don't appreciate how good football players are until you don't see them in the lineup. And then you start to realize, man, I, think, I don't think that team would have been able to do that if DeForest Buckner's in there. You know, again, he has so many plays like an Aaron Donald and everything like that that affect the overall offensive play that don't go in the stat sheet. Whether he busts behind the, the line of scrimmage and messes the play up and now the running back has to run a different way. Or whether, oh, we can't call this play this week because I can't leave my guard one-on-one with him on this play. We need to have double teams on him and all that. That affects the game. And you saw that. I mean, we know Tennessee can run the football, to your point. We all know that, yeah. right? They're, they're a machine. They only got a few runs, but they do it really well. And what I love about Tennessee is they're not all like – a lot of good run teams are we're all inside zone. We're all outside zone. That's all we do is those two concepts, and we got a few little different ways we can do it. Tennessee's one of those teams where they can – inside, outside zones, probably their bread and, bread and butter – but they can do some man-to-man blocking, whether that's straight ahead, man-to-man, double teams, get up to the second level, ISO, you know, weak side ISO, fullback and a linebacker, everybody blocking man-to-man. So they have that element. And I think that's very – you have to have it if you want to be a good running team because there's yeah. some teams that are going to be, hey, we can stop the inside zone. We can stop the outside zone. All right, so now what are you going to do now? And when you're built around the run game like the Titans are, you know, they always have a few things. And I think that's where I'll start, like the first drive. Let's just talk about the first touchdown. He throws – we talked a little bit on Monday. Yep. Right? He throws the little toss to the – he throws the swing pass to the right. Right. It ends up being a rush because it yep. was a lateral. Right. But it was truly a toss play. You know, for – this play in the John Gruden offense would be 98 bunch crunch. Usually you have a bunch, mm-hmm. two guys blocked down, the inside guy, the bunch comes around as you toss it. So now you have a guy that's lead blocking after you block down, block down, block down, block down. And now it's the toss and one guy's out leading the running back. Instead, they did it at a trips right formation. They spread it out. And because their wide receivers are good blockers and they had one tight end over there, they basically went, hey, we're all spread out, but... You know, tight end, you block down. You're the middle of the three receivers. A.J. Brown, you're way outside. You block outside. And then they had a, the inside slot receiver come out as, like, that puller. Right. And now you got Derrick Henry. Throw it out to him. Let him go. He's in space. And he's got a lead blocker in front of him. And, of course, once he gets ahead of steam, it's, it's over. And I always like to tie yeah. in what we saw last from whatever team we're focusing on. Right. So the week before... Aaron Rodgers and company didn't score a touchdown in that second half against this same Colts defense. The last time they were on that field. So you mentioned the first touchdown. Tennessee scored touchdowns on four of their first five possessions. It's got to be about more than just the fact that DeForest Buckner wasn't there. Well, no, definitely not. I think there was some, you know, schematical, you know, uh, advantages that the Titans found within the matchup that I think they probably learned from the first time around. Where up they front? Said, up front, yeah. yeah. And that's where we'll get – I mean, hey, we know that's the first touchdown. We just explained that. Yep. The second touchdown, let's just hit on that real quick. And this is what I love about the Titans, too. They're a run-first football team, as we know. But 
I mean, they're such a big play team, too, which is so weird. Like, oh, yeah, we're Derrick Henry power football. But how many? They have so many drives that are four plays, 75 yards. And because of the run because, game and yeah. people worried about it, it leads to, you know, optimal pass looks at times. It's, it's um, I think the, the pass production numbers for Tennessee are so interesting when you connect them with the run game. So you have Brown and Davis, seven catches, not a lot. Right. But 168 yards. Right, isn't that crazy? Out of those catches. And I know A.J. Brown catches and runs in a very strong, fast way after he gets the ball. But, but those two have to, they have to go together somehow at this point of their identity, that they run it so well and that their yards per catch yeah. in these important games are so high. So high. It is because of the running game. It is because of Tannehill's ability to be a great aggressive thrower down the field, as we've talked about a lot. And then Brown and Davis are a great combination to go along with Jonah Smith, who's damn good too. Right. But, you know, Brown is the, you know, over-the-middle power, I'm going to break tackles and, and run through and buy people. Corey Davis is more the route runner, and it's a great combination between the two. So, oh, hey, play-action pass. Hey, little A.J. Brown. Oh, he's flying. No. Okay, let me go to number two. Corey Davis is running a post-corner. It's a more intricate route, but bam, damn, he's open. There you go. That second touchdown, hey, the Colts are worried about the run game. They're playing cover one. They're kind of running a run blitz on the strong side. It leaves one-on-one coverage on the back side. He throws a strike to A.J. Brown for a 69-yard Accuracy was so good right there. Right? Accuracy is the key to his game because he lets his receivers always run after the catch and they never have to break stride. But now they get to the 14, and this is where the exposing that you're asking about, what was it that went on? Right. Yeah, because I want to hear about this. But I can't tell you how many times I wrote down in in my pages and notes looking at this one, haven't seen a running back all year hit the linebacker part of the defense before he's even touched. Right. I mean, if, if that was a stat that was kept, and Pete, let us know if you have that one. I don't think you do. Uh, but just unofficially, the eyeball test of, of watching a game and thinking, where's the D-line? Exactly right. He went through the offensive line, D-line part of, of the line of scrimmage untouched more than any back I've seen all year. Yeah, it, it, was, it was impressive. And I think what they learned from the first matchup was, wait, this Colts defense, it's fast, they're, they do some movement up front, slants and stunts and things. It's too hard to zone block that. So they kind of just took the approach of, hey, let's go right at them this time a little bit. They're yeah. not real big. DeForest Buckner's not in there. Let's just kind of go right at them, and let's use a fullback. And that, to me, was the story of the football game after those first two drives. It was the weak side ISO run. And when I say ISO, I mean ISO as an isolate the fullback against one of their linebackers. And really what, so it, it's almost a little bit like a zone blocking scheme, but you got a fullback leading you up in the hole. And what they did, when I say weak side bubble, okay, so if the formation's to the left, tight ends to the left, that shade nose tackle to your right, who's right on the edge of the right shoulder of the offensive center, Now there's a bubble there. Nobody is on the guard. He is nobody in front of him. And then the tackle, of course, has the defense end on him. But that setup alone, they abused that. They wanted to go there, and they made sure they did. Whether they motioned the the tight end before the snap, okay, hey, the tight end's here. Oh, okay, let's motion them. Oh, wait, the bubble's here. Okay, we're going to go to this side. And if the bubble was somewhere else, they'd go to the other side. And maybe they'd run strong side. But either way, they continually abused that, really, throughout the first half. And what does that do to run to the weak side bubble? Well, like I said, that nose tackle's on the right shoulder of that center. Now the guard and the center, you can kind of both 
like hit him, mm-hmm. and now the guard can get up to one linebacker, and now you got the fullback leading up against another linebacker, let alone when that fullback runs through that gap, it creates another gap that the defense has to be responsible right. for. And they had issues with that repeatedly. And, of course, Tennessee, what I love about them is, like we said, it's not a lot of run plays, but what they do, they do it well. Mm -hmm. And they do it really well. And like you said, it was always perfectly blocked, and he was going to the second level untouched a lot of times. So as for this this mismatch that that you brought up and have kind of highlighted the details of it, a couple of questions. Number one, why – how come it wasn't there two weeks ago when the offense looked so out of sorts when they lost to the Colts? Yeah, well, you know, I, it, it might Is it, it might have like, been there. Yeah. It might have been, hey, listen, you go into a game, team's playing a certain way, you're doing certain things good, and you go, hey, I think we can do this good. Yeah. And then it doesn't work out quite the way you want, and you go back and reevaluate and go, well, hey, they're a little better at this position than we thought. and uh, ooh, But there is a weakness right here. Maybe we need to try to expose this. I mean, that, that, it can be just as simple as that. Okay. You know, you're not always going to have all the right answers the first time you match up with a team, as you know. Right, right. And I think they just reevaluated it. But, you know, that was a huge part of the football game. And really, it is the reason they were up 35-14 to 14 in the first half. Because there was never really an adjustment made off of That was my next it. question. Yes. And I only bring it up because we praised the Colts defense right. for good reasons sure. so often the last two or three months. Why couldn't they, they make some kind of adjustment? It, it was just too, too slow to do it. You know, they tried different ways of maybe we'll kick the linebackers over there and do those type of things. But that still just wasn't enough of an advantage because that guard-center combo we talked about and the fullback leading up there was still making it tough on them. So, not till the third quarter did we see an adjustment. And what did, what did the Colts do? They took away the weak side bubble. So now they played no bubble. So in a defense where you'd go, okay, if I'm the quarterback and the tight end's to the left, hey, the three techniques to the left usually means that nose tackle shade nose is to your right. Well, they moved that shade nose out and put him head up on that guard. They put him head up on that guard to now where, okay, the guard and center can't get up there and get to the linebackers as easily. And they cheated the linebackers over just a little too. So even though the center has nobody on him, he couldn't just fly up there and cut off one of those linebackers from getting to that weak side. That was the adjustment they made too little too late at that point. And it really it just, you know, it didn't matter by that time. We've got some really good numbers here yeah. on Derrick Henry. Pete, I don't think I've, I've been watching, Chris. I haven't seen the screen. Have, have we put those up there? No, nope, I don't think we that? have. If we have, I haven't seen it either. Okay, so 27 carries, a buck 78, three touchdowns, uh, three, three running touchdowns in the first half, including that one kind of swing that he caught out of the backfield. Right. Uh, there it is right there. A couple things to add on to that. Uh, eight straight road games with over 100 rushing yards ties Chris Johnson. Second longest streak since the 1970 merger. Oof. And I'm going to shrink that down a little bit, too. Since they, they came off the field of that bad loss to the Colts a couple weeks ago, yeah. beating Baltimore and then beating Indy, 55 carries, okay, for 311 in two games they had to have. Yeah, it's, it's you know, they're, they're, this is where I think, like we talk about him in the MVP race, I think it's got to be right there with Rodgers and Mahomes. Mm-hmm. I right now would go Rodgers, Mahomes, 
Derrick Henry, and I mean it's close between all three. Yeah. Like, I'm giving Rodgers a hair advantage over Mahomes, and Mahomes a hair advantage over Derrick Henry. But it is very close. And, you know, to your point in those numbers, what you're saying, it just shows you. you know, everything about them goes through that running game. And those explosive pass plays we talk about and everything off of that, they're all there because of that run game as well. Mm-hmm. He's a special human being. They're big up front. They're tough because they're head coach. And they always know how to block the play properly. Clearly. Yes. Certainly looked that way in that game. Yeah. Back to the MVP thing, because I think it's a really fun conversation. Right. If you look at it as in a question, not who's the MVP, but which one of these three players has the most to do with their team who's in first place success? Yeah. Does, does that change it or, or tilt it to Henry? <sighs> no, I think it's still that way. Because I mean, it's it, hard to take away from Rogers. And right, Roger Mahomes. You're still like, they win every game yeah. because of them, and they're right. what they do. So that's where. It, but but I think that's to the point still. Yeah, we're putting him in that class to go. These are special guys. Yeah. the team runs through them, and just because this guy isn't underneath the center taking a snap, mm-hmm. the ball can still and the team can still run through him too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they just they they have an identity. You know, we talk about identity. Yes, yeah. And it seems like it's one that's, none of it's easy, but easier to maintain. Right. Because the one B there is Tannehill, who for most of the season has played really, really well, too. Keeps you off their back a little bit. And those other two guys you mentioned, although it's hard to find a weakness with, with, with Kansas City. But the identity in Tennessee is terrific. It is. It's a, it's a great identity. It fits their head coach. It fits the personnel of their team. It all makes sense. And to button this up, that was a great game plan. Colts are fast as hell. Yeah. Darius Leonard is fast as hell in the middle with Walker and how they can go sideline to sideline. Tennessee said, screw that. You know what? You're fast as hell, but you're kind of smaller. So we're just going to run right at you, and let's see how you do with that. And, you know, that was genius, and now they're 8-3 and three and, of course, in control of that division. Yeah, how much did the, the speed matter when Derrick Henry had a 10-yard? Yeah, it's, it doesn't start. matter, right. The speed gets taken out when you got people coming at you and you're trying to fit a gap and do all those type of things. All right, Tennessee up by a game in the AFC South. Bills against the Chargers, 27-17, to Buffalo wins. I think the, the question to start here three days later, it's yeah. everyone, I'm going to include myself in here, all of us expecting and really looking forward to a Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, laser show shootout. Right. What happened? Well, yeah, it, it's interesting. It, was, it obviously did not become that. Uh, it became close at one point where I thought, ooh, maybe the Bills might get it going here and start to blow them out and run away with this. But Chargers defense hung close. And it, it's two different approaches here. The Chargers played, we're going to play really soft, conservative coverages, mm-hmm. not give up good play, big plays. We're, we're going to be sound in our coverages, our run fits. We got talent. We got fast linebackers and a good front four. And we're going to play that way and just see if they can be patient and do it that way. The Bills on defense, they were the opposite. They more went, we're going to be aggressive and confuse your young quarterback and really, you know, uh, pressure your protection schemes and expose them a little bit and make your quarterback have to throw the ball quick and get it out of his hands and we'll rally and make tackles. It was almost a totally different approach by two different defenses, if that sums it up a little bit. Right. And yet both were very effective, as, as we could see. Let's start with, uh, yeah. or let's continue this with Buffalo's approach offensively. Yeah. So much of their story when they got off to the awesome start in September was Josh Allen, was his efficiency was better. He yep. was connecting on the downfield shots. Now you take this one game, we saw the numbers. He's only 18 out of 24. The top two running backs, Singletary and Moss, carried it 20 times. 
So they led with the run and defense. It wasn't, hey, we got a bunch of Josh Allen coming at you, and we'll be okay in the run, we'll be okay on defense, but we're going to win anyway. Yeah. Now it was Josh Allen as, as the third most important You're right. after defense and run game, and that, that looked different. I, I, it does look different. I think, though, it should be encouraging for the Buffalo Bills. Especially now that we're in December exactly. and in that environment in Buffalo. Right, exactly right. And then, you know, you're going to have to play some teams where, you know, you play the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoffs or some other teams where you're just going to – shootout's not going right. to happen. You're not going right. to like, throw up 40 points and 400 yards passing against some of these teams. You're going to have to show some versatility in how you can win a football game. So is that an identity that they can stick with that I team? think I think it is. Because as the game started, one of the things I wrote, I went, oh – the Chargers are playing like they do against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. We're going to back up. We're not going to let your right arm throw a laser show all over the place on us. And Stefan Diggs and you guys all have fun and laugh at us and all that. They said, nope, we'll go back. Our front four is good. We'll pressure you that way. And I wrote one of the things I wrote in my notes. I wrote early on, the Bills have enough of a patience and a short passing game here mm-hmm. to hang in. They do. I think that's encouraging. And so they showed within you know, the early parts of the game to build up the 24-6 lead that they could throw the ball short, mix in some run, and do some things like that and be patient. And then when they kind of got the game where they wanted, they showed the ability to be able to run the ball even more, even though you, you expected them to run it. And I think that's a good thing. Now, did they make some mistakes along the way as they were doing it? Singletary fumbled. Right. Allen throws the dumb interception right. off his back foot, right? But still... Even for a game that was a little underwhelming, if I'm a Bills fan, I think there's a lot of positives to take away. The defense is looking better, and we'll get into that in a second. But you're seeing Josh – whoa, this is a few times this year we've seen Josh Allen manage a game a little bit and not just be crazy and play like his ass is on fire and do stupid shit. So that was cool to see, in my my opinion. I agree. I mean, 18 out of 24, those are very efficient game manager type, type numbers. Stephon Diggs didn't have a catch in the first half. I know. Had a big play on the pass interference early that set up the interception. Might be a positive, though. I know. Right? Agreed. Let's get, you know, Moss and Singletary in the run game going. You know, hey, the kid, the rookie, Gabriel Davis out of UCF. I mean, he's another contributor. Yes, it's, it's just, I think this was one of the better all-around team wins that I saw from Buffalo all year long. And it, it showed me a lot. Because, you know, I think... They probably went, they went into that game thinking, same scheme as Seattle. Mm-hmm. We saw Seattle a few weeks ago, and it was a laser show. We're going to come out and do the same kind of crap. Except the Chargers defense was like, no, we're not going to line up in some of the defenses Seattle did. They showed them pre-snap, like, hey, here's the Seattle cover three scheme. You think you're going to throw verticals and all that? Oh, set hut. Oh, nope. We got two safeties back. They did a lot of that. Show cover three. Josh Allen at the line of scrimmage probably going, ooh, I like this play. We got cover three, set hut, and then that safety that you thought was rolling down to play there, he gets back and they play cover four and things like that. And I think that's a great lesson for them as an offense and everything like that. Offensive line, somewhat healthy, moving some people. But overall, I think, you know, we hit it. I think the offense, it was good to see them play that style. I have a couple quick Josh yeah. Allen questions. Cool. Number one, uh, he's, he's such a good athlete. Yes. Runs it well. Nine carries, though. Yeah. And I went back through his numbers. Mm-hmm. He's kind of carrying around nine-ish, give or take a couple per game. Yeah. It works. Makes me nervous. Are you a fan of, of, of that form? I want, them to be, I, I want them to be careful. They have to be careful for him a little bit. He's such a good soldier and such a team player and a football player. You give him the ball, and it's third and short or whatever, 
He's going to lower his shoulder. He's going to try to get the first down. It's just he's a football player that way. He's not your typical quarterback. So, yeah, I'd like them to be careful with him. And then we saw the play where he rolls his ankle, right? Yeah. Like that, just go down, big guy. Go down. You're too damn good and important for the team now to be, like, worried. Who cares if but they – that's the thing. And I know. That wasn't a quarterback draw. But no. they have quarterback draws called for him. He does a good job with it. But he's not going to just go down. He's not going to go down. You're right. And I've seen him a number of times this year lower his shoulder and do stuff like that. We saw him once on a third and short. I mean, Joey Bosa crushed him, right? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I, I do worry about that. I don't, I don't know if you've ever met him, though. He's a I, big sucker. I have. Oh, he's huge. So he'd, he'd make you feel better if you saw him, but right. still you're going, yeah, you're still a quarterback, and it's the NFL. Don't live, you know, on that, that tree branch there. Right. Okay, so that's, that's the Bills offense. I think a lot of positives that are initial negatives. With, it wasn't great passing games. Stephon Diggs didn't catch the ball uh, a whole lot, but they found a way to, um, to win. Yeah. So yeah. other side, Chargers offense, Bills defense. You kind of hit it a little bit. Yeah, right. Is it the Chargers, though, or the Bills' defense that really is the headline here? For I, I think it's more the, the Bills' defense. I think the Bills' defense, somewhere about four weeks ago, you know, I think with healthy, realizing things weren't working, maybe I, I know I did, maybe they did too, misevaluated how talented their defense went be, went, or would be coming yeah. into the year. You know, the, the big thing with me, and anybody listening to the podcast the first five, six weeks of the season – I just went, man, the, the Bills, their code gets cracked every week. You know, it's kind of the same defense every play. I was going, what's up with Sean McDermott? I've never seen him play this simple. What are they doing? I don't know if they thought, hey, we're banged up and let's just not mess things up and let's play simple and try to be sound. Or if they thought, hey, we're talented. We don't need to do a lot schematically this year. I'm not really sure what hmm. their thought process was early. I do know they're healthier now, especially up front. And – they're playing better. But the biggest thing to me is the Buffalo defense and McDermott. He's gotten back to what I've seen the last two years. I mean, just a master at rushing four and five, and you have four and five blockers, yet someone's always free, and you shouldn't be free. And, you know, back to their old conversation of it's his own coverage. I don't know what it is, but they're all yeah. dropping where his receivers right. are, right? A lot of that went on again. And it was just interesting to see that. And Buffalo, this is where I'm a little like, you know, I look at the top three teams in the AFC and you go, you know, we know we got the Steelers, the Chiefs, the Titans. And I always kind of thought, eh, I think those three right now might be in the class of their own. Buffalo is that next team to me that I thought there was a pretty significant gap. Mm -hmm. But the way they played the last two weeks, I'm starting to go, oh, Buffalo might be able to play some playoff football like right. I thought. And uh, I, I, I guess all the movements, the unbelievable, crazy alignments they have and things like that, I think that's where I thought it was amazing. And it really exposed the Chargers in pass protection. It flustered Justin Herbert, especially in the first half. You know, whether he didn't know what he was seeing coverage-wise or there was times where I go, ooh, he always hits his throw. Why did he miss his throw? I think he was uncomfortable. There was people around him. Some people were coming free. Even if they weren't free, they were close to him, and the, and the pocket was collapsing in a hurry. And I think that led to, yeah, them you know, not having quite the offensive output we expected as well. Yeah, the question, how do you win an NFL game when you turn the ball over three times? You outrush them, and you hold your opponent to their season low. 17 is the lowest that, uh, I was going to say San Diego, that yeah. L.A. has had all season. Right. And even though they're used to losing, 
We're used to having a lot of highlights to talk about in those losses, and they just didn't have many. No, they they did not. Now, I mean, they 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 had still so many chances in this to come back and win the football game, or at least tie it and do all those type of things. And you know, it just goes to the bigger picture with the Chargers once again. It just doesn't make sense. You know, going into the weekend, they had the number two offense in football and the number eleven defense in football. You know, you shouldn't be a 2-8 and eight football team that way. But, right. you know, big moments, big plays, they always mess it up. They never seem to handle certain things the right way, and that's just been the, the M.O. of their year. And it really has, and specifically even you talk about the end of the game. I mean, that just kind of encompasses everything you talk about. Throw a Hail Mary, come down, run the ball. What? There's no timeouts. You run the ball. Then on the next play, Paul, they call another running play. That's what you told me. <laughs> and then he, and he singles, yeah. signals the receiver and just throws it at him. But I, I just don't know what the communication was yeah. at the end of that football game. And that, that to me, is, is a little bit troubling. want to get into uh, some AFC championship odds provided by our partners at PointsBet Sportsbook. Bills and Titans both tied for third best odds to win the AFC championship. Which one has the best chance of upsetting Chiefs and Steelers, I think you've answered that a couple moments ago. You're leaning toward the Titans, but yeah. give you a chance here to, to get even more specific. Yeah, well, you know, as we, I, I mean, I guess if you made me pick one of those, I'm going to pick the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. I am. You know, with that run game, um, Pittsburgh, you know, we've seen Baltimore run on Pittsburgh. We've seen some other teams run on Pittsburgh, too. Kansas City, you know you can run on them as well. So I, I do look at that, but I don't look at Buffalo as being too far off that. Especially, like I'm saying, with the defense improving. Yep. I mean, you know, what you do to the Chargers, what you did to Russell Wilson was pretty damn impressive. What you did to Kyler Murray in that offense was pretty damn impressive. So we've had a few weeks in a row here where, yeah, four or five weeks ago, I went, I, you know, those are a playoff team, but they're not going to make a serious run, not with the defense playing the way it is. To now I'm sitting here going, whoa, defense gotten pretty damn good. I'm seeing a little inkling of a run game. If they can do those things, I might throw them up in the class with those rest yeah. of those teams. It's, it's a different way of doing it. It's not as sexy. It's really not as much fun to watch Buffalo as right. it was in September. Yeah. But the way they've won four of the last five might be more encouraging for December and January. It definitely. Because you're just going to have certain matchups like we talked about. You're just not going to be able to have the air show. You're right. gonna, and you never know what not the always. weather could be in, the, in, the, in January in the playoffs. So you're going to have to be able, okay, we might have to throw it short and run the ball, play some defense in this game. It's windy and rainy and you know, Tennessee today or wherever. And that, that's where you want to have that versatility. And, and I think that's very important. But between the offense managing the game and the defense being healthy with Buffalo and the exotic looks and everything they did that way, just I, I'm really impressed with what I saw on that side of the ball. Moving on. Yeah. Little over a week ago, the Raiders were clicking along. Yeah. Six and three. Right. Hey, look at this team over here. Maybe we should pay more attention. Kansas City got them. They got beat 43-6, to six. right? as I mentioned on Monday, very collegiate-like score uh, in Atlanta. What happened to Derek Carr and the Raiders' offense? Right. Well, it was a disaster from every aspect possible, okay? You know, this is one, another team where I'd go, Dan Quinn got fired, all right? De- team has some energy under Raheem Morris. Raheem Morris has made their defense a different animal compared to what it was early in the year. They're another team, like McDermott, where 
they line up in formations and things sometimes. I go, I don't know what the hell this is. I don't know what you'd call this front. John Gruden and Bill Belichick never taught me what the hell this one is. Hmm. But either way, it's effective and sound and way to go, and it's creative. So it's... It is a really creative defense right now. It went from being, man, it's Seattle cover three, like way too much and way too predictable, to now I can't predict what coverage and what blitz is going to come on any play. And I know John Gruden couldn't. Right. And I know Raheem Morris knew that. See, Raheem and all his history here, after watching the game back, things I said on Monday where, you know, Raheem knows Gruden's offense, that, that to me – was a very real aspect of this football game. He was never going to let Gruden and, and how he's programmed Derek Carr to call plays at the line of scrimmage like we saw on Sunday night against the Ch- Chiefs two weeks ago. He was never going to let him get in that comfortable mode of like, oh, oh, well, I'm in this play. We're going to go to, you know, Cindy Gruden L.A., Cindy Gruden L.A., which is like 96 Wanda or whatever, like I'm using his code words, yeah. right? He, they weren't going to let him get into that mode. So it's disguises, different lineups, things like that, all of that were um, an issue for Gruden, one, to get in a rhythm as a play caller or to have Carr save his ass at the line of scrimmage because he's programmed on what to do, all right? So that was one big issue. And then they simply just got their ass whooped. They did, didn't they? Like physically whooped. Yeah. Where I haven't seen the Raiders get whooped like that up front all year long. The speed of the Falcons' front That's what I have written here in all, really all gave issues yeah. to the big lumbering front of the Las Vegas Raiders. And, and the they linebackers. Couldn't, they were, couldn't, right, they were the everywhere, Falcons, right? It, it looked like the fastest group of linebackers well, I've seen all year. They're fast as hell. They're in that conversation. They are. But you're right. They were everywhere. And again, I think them not only being better on defense, but Raheem coaching them about what runs they do and things like that, that unlocked them to read and react even faster. So it looked like they had, you know, an extra rocket up their ass this week. Right. Yeah. I mean, and usually one is enough. You have, you have an extra, extra rocket. <laughs> right. It's struggle. It is struggle. I want to give a little credit to, to Jeff Ulbrich, who's working along with Raheem Morris. Yeah, we should. Defense, we should. One of the young coaches that I know is well-liked and respected down there. So everything you've said about the, the Falcons' defense – what did that have to do with Derek Carr turning the ball over four times that led to 20 points? Yeah, well, I mean, all led to the dysfunction. You know, what happens, too, with a team like this, right? And this is one thing where I'll, take, I'll say one little negative thing about Gruden here. When Gruden can't get a feel for your defense and you do too much stuff and you blitz and all these fire zones and things like that, he likes to get in big personnel. He's going to get, try to get two and three tight ends on the field because he feels like that'll simplify you. I'll beat you, you this way. I'll beat you this way. Yeah. You can't be as crazy with your blitzes that way. you got to line up in a little bit more of a base, stop-the-run type defense, right? But Ulbrick and Raheem aren't like that. Mm-hmm. They don't care. They still continue to call exotic stuff. But here, we can go through this game in a hurry and what, know what, what went wrong. First drive of the game, they're kind of moving the ball. All right? Fourth and one, they run a toss play. No one gets a hand on Deion Jones. Right. I'm sorry. It's the fa- one of the fastest linebackers in football. Right. Yeah. right. So there you go. That's that drive. Next, next play of the next drive. Exactly. It's, uh, it's a little green dog by, I can't say his name, 54 Oluquan. I can't say his name. Oluquan. Excuse me. Thank you. Oluquan, who I would like to tell everybody out there is the most under-the-radar great defensive player in football this year. 
I mean, disruption, fumbles, interceptions. Whenever there's a big play on Atlanta, I can promise you, if you look closely, 54 had something to do with it. Right. He's been phenomenal. So there he is covering Dar- Darren Waller. He sees Darren Waller's not going out on a pass. Then he rushes, and Darren Waller can't handle him on the pass rush. So there's a strip sack fumble. Um, third, third drive, they're moving the ball. Josh Jacobs lowers his head, gets him a big penalty, way behind the sticks. Fourth drive. They're kind of doing things good again, okay? Waller's wide open on a one-on-one matchup down the middle, uh, down the left sideline. Carr is way too late to go over there and throws it behind, and they don't convert. Uh, so then they go for it on fourth down, and they hit it to rugs, and they get down there. But then all of a sudden, it's penalties, 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 and they got to kick a field goal. So there's that. Fifth drive's a three and out. Six drive after all this, and the Raiders yeah. haven't done crap. It's only thirteen to three, right? Right. It was only sixteen to three mid third quarter, right? Which it's, is nothing. It's they're they're doing okay. But Gruden's scared off the run game at this point. He's realized, whoa, I, all the chaos they're creating up front with these fronts and slanting and doing all this, we can't block it. We can't figure it out. So it's thirteen to three, and we get another strip sack fumble. All right, that just leads to being sixteen to three. And they're still hanging around, and, and it's not, like, totally out of it. But then they get the ball in great, in great field position, right? And that's where you get the pick six. It's 16-3, to three and you're going, okay. But this just goes back again to the offensive line getting their ass whooped. They, they're, 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 they're good right tackle, right guard, Gabe Jackson. He just gets beat by number 50, Kaminsky. And as Carr's throwing the check down to Josh Jacobs, he kind of gets hit in the back. The ball, ball goes a little, you know, uh, wide of the target. He throws it behind Jacobs. Interception, pick six. See you later. Bye-bye. You know, my, so that's that. Ass-whooping, schematical ass-whooping, and then a coaching staff who had great understanding of what another right. coaching staff wanted to do. And a speed matchup that the Power Raiders – you know, obviously had issue is. They want to be big, push you off the ball, do those things. They couldn't get their hands on any of these guys in the front seven. That, to me, was the big theme of the game that jumped out to me more than anything. Josh Jacobs, some kind of a sprained ankle in the second half. Reports are that he's likely going to be okay. Yeah. So that, that, uh, that's, that's good to know. Not, yep. not as negative. wasn't his best day either. No, it wasn't. Uh, he only ran the ball seven times. No, I mean, I think Gruden, I think early on, I will say for Gruden – I've never seen him get off the run so quick, yeah. which I was a little surprised because usually he'll just stick with it just so he can keep with it to get play-action passes and do things like that. This was one where he was kind of just like, whoa, I've seen enough, yeah. and he never really gave it a chance. And I think he just thought, okay, we'll be able to throw it and do that, but they couldn't protect, and he couldn't get a feel for what pass play to call against what coverage. And people might say, well, whoa, then why is the Falcons' defense not so amazing, and why don't they do this to everybody? You know, when you play teams like Falcons like this, you got to run all-purpose plays, especially early in the game. you got to run plays that attack them, whether it's screens, reverses, speed sweeps. Oh, it's one-on-one outside. We'll take the 10-yard out. You have to do things like that to then once you get a feel for, oh, wait, this is how they're attacking us in this formation or this, and now you can start to call plays where you go, I think this play exposes this defense. Never got, Never got to that. Never yeah. got to that at you, all. You mentioned yeah. something on Monday about this game. You said right. the Raiders allowed the Chiefs to beat them twice. Yeah. yeah. How did that come into play here? I, I, I think it did. Because just To me, the overall energy of the Raiders was as low as I've seen it through the Gruden era, and I just think it's – you know, the football, human psychology, you've been there. I mean, they went home after the Chiefs game going, we should have beat them. We outplayed them. We're, as good as, we're, almost, we're almost as good as the best team in football. We're doing good. Everything's great. 
You know, oh, with the Falcons this week, they're three and seven. I mean, we're gonna go down there and beat them. I just, I just feel like that's what happened. It's right. just what it looked like to me. One team was angry and mad and pissed off, mm-hmm. and like you said, as soon as you turn the film on, you're like, they're flying around yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And the other team looked like it was just like, ah, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out how to beat you, and it just, it became too much. It snowballed out of control. And I, I think Pete just whispered to me, is it uh, Peter? Peter oh, podcast check that out. More. So that'd be good. If they continue to be as impressive as they're doing, right. listen, I was one that I love Raheem Morris. I was one just to be objective to going, do you really want to keep that old regime around and rehire him? But if they're going to, I mean, what he's doing right now is special. And just from the things you hear from the players down there and all that, I mean, they continue to be impressive here down the stretch. I mean, they might have no choice but to to hire Raheem Morris. I think there's something, too, to a guy's second time around. Definitely. As a head coach, and they've had some time in between. And you know it's it's a humbling process. It's a learning process. Right. If they handle it the right way. I I would always have an eye out for a guy who the first time, for whatever reason, didn't really work out. Yeah. And quite a few years later, he appears to be better off for it. Definitely. Coached the offensive football a little bit for That's the Falcons. Right. Yeah. Then he's back to the defense. And in Tampa, he was the man. Like, I always knew Raheem would be a head coach. Yeah. Always. I think he became a head coach maybe a little too early for his own good. Yeah. Either way. And there were some issues there within that Bucks organization. You know, and one thing I'll say in his defense, yeah, he might have been a little young. You know, he took a team over that, Gruden didn't leave him the greatest team in the world to take over. We were an older team at that time. I had just left where we had no young talent to infuse. It was always get the 10th-year veteran in here to fill that spot we need. So he got stuck with there, and then they spent no money. I mean, they fired Raheem Morris, and Greg Schiano came in, and they spent like $120 million in free agency. I'm sure Raheem was like, what the fuck? Could you have done that when I was there? I'd still be coaching. Yeah. So uh, hopefully he has learned. I know he's learned because he's a smart guy. He always was. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. All right, from, from one quarterback who had some issues turning the ball over, that's Derek Carr, to another uh, in the NFC. Let's go to the 49ers beating the Rams 23-20. to A tough outing for Jared Goff. Um, real tough outing for Jared yeah. Goff. And 
I eventually want to you know, work this all together with what happened in the entire month of November. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Pete. He's disrupting you. Shut up, Pete. You sound, you're like, he's like Gruden in my ear calling a play. Let's eventually get to the, to the pick six. Let's, yes. start, let's start a little bigger picture. Jared Goff on Sunday, your thoughts? Yeah, big picture is it was a pitiful football game by Jared Goff. I don't know any other way to say it than to be honest with you, all right? Obviously, listen, you can win and still be successful with Jared Goff. I understand that. That was not his best showing, and I think a little concerning to the fact that's why you heard Sean McVay have some long answers on Sunday and Monday about Jared Goff's play. and Called him out directly. Called him out directly a little bit. We got to get better. I got to get better. This is on me. Our quarterback has to take care of the football. He has to take care of the football. That's what he said. And he's got to make plays that are there to be had, too. And that's there's two areas that he missed out on in this football game. You know, hey, go back to the old adage we always talk about. I know it's a beaten horse here. But he's not the kind of quarterback that's going to carry your team when the run game and the, the bootlegs and things aren't going to work. You know, hey, there's games where he's been really good and on his game as a drop-back passer, and you go, damn, that's awesome. That's great. But they're few and far between. And this is, would be, you know, one of those games where I'd go, yeah, they couldn't run, they couldn't do the bootleg, some of the play actions were there, and he didn't throw the ball well. His pocket presence was pitiful that way. I mean, the interceptions, the first one to Richard Sherman, I, I don't know what he's doing. I, yeah. I really don't. You know, he's thrown to a guy that's covered already. Right. And he misses the throw by, what do you think, 10 feet? I was going to say about five or six yards over his head. Over his head, and right. To your point, even if he gets it to that guy, I mean, the defender is literally all over. It's, all, it's glue. Yeah. And he threw it, like, not even thinking twice. Like, he's wide open. I'm just going to chuck it to him. You know, so that's a little concerning. Hey, the next interception, I yeah. know he's getting hit and things like that. But, first off, this goes back to pocket presence. His, his movement in the pocket is non-existent. Wherever he ends his drop, that's where he's going to throw it from. You don't have to worry. He doesn't step up. He doesn't shuffle and move and then throw. And he very rarely scrambles and then throws. So he's, he's really a sitting duck a lot of times in the pocket. But, okay, he throws the interception and there's pressure. I know that's going to happen. I think what's more concerning is who the hell he was going to throw it to. He, he was double He was going to throw it to an interception know, even if he wasn't going to get hit. Right. He was throwing to a double-covered shallow cross, right? Yes, yeah. So here you go. If you're watching at Next Gen Stats, here we go. Jared Goff dropping back to pass. Look at Cooper Cup over the middle. 41 and 57 are both there. Right. I mean, 57, he's going to throw it right into his right, chest sure. if – he doesn't get hit and the ball pop in the air for Kinlaw to have the interception. Right, right. So you have the Niners with, with, with the great pressure. You have the nice job of dropping the D lineman right into his, you know, where he's going to throw it anyway. Exactly. But that was the first thing I wrote down too. Yeah. Where he's throwing Where the he's ball, throwing is, got, got, like, McVay's so going to be over, more concerned with, wait, he was going to throw the ball right. there than he will with the actual that he got hit and threw the interception. He's going to be more bothered by going, what is my quarterback doing by, what, why would he throw it there? So that is concerning, let alone some of the missed throws in the football game. Missed throws, yes. I mean. To the running back. It was a Henderson on the wheel route. I mean, that's Touchdown the game. up the left sideline. That's the game. It right. was in the second half. Right. I mean, even with those interceptions, as well as the defense plays, if he makes that throw, they win. De- definitely. It's going to put those, the 49ers in a really tough spot. Yeah, the Rams have kind of gotten the momentum of the game back. Their defense got them in the game. Right. But instead of scoring seven, 
they left yards and points on the board and had to settle for a field goal, right? Yeah. You know, and you know, they're just there's just too many throws throughout the game that affect the drives and affect, you know, oh, it's third and two. Hey, Cooper Cup's wide open in the flat. He's open. You're going to hit him for a first down. He throws it five feet behind him. He can't even get a hand on it. You know, they're down there in fringe field goal territory there. Oh, they had to kick the field goal. So there, that drive could have been extended, and you don't know what's going to happen. You know, some out routes and things like that miss that you go, you know, even at the end of the game, and, and you're going to go, this is going to help field position. They might be able to do something here. Just too many routine NFL throws that I go, nah, I, yeah. I can't believe he missed that. I can't believe that. It's just, it's just not acceptable at this point of his career. And remember a month ago where we started talking about the Rams the second half of the season. Yeah. After their first game in November at Miami, beaten by the Blitz, poor decisions, turnovers, and now we're right back to that. And seven picks in one month, I think double-digit turnovers, yet they have seven wins. They're in great postseason position. Yep. And the two games prior to the one that he just played against the Niners, against the Buccaneers and the Seahawks, huge wins. Yeah. And he played really well. Yeah. He I mean, pl- it, it, it's as maddening of a, of a watch. As, as a, like, I don't love or hate the Rams. I just like watching the quarterbacks. Right. I want to focus in on where we're going to talk. It's, it is as tough a one to figure out as there is for me. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's still what we talk about, though. I really do. You know, the, the, the Seahawks game – you know, the play actions and boots were all there, right? So you take that game, all right, and you go, yeah. The Bucks game, some nice plays, certainly. A lot of them. A lot of them. Yeah. There's definitely. There's some big-time plays, do all that, too. Hey, the defense played great, set them up in some good spots. You know, yeah, they had the Bucks number, certainly. It's just these games where we see, you know, Teams take away some of the McVay staples, and it seems to slow down the attack. And the 49ers have the formula to slow down the McVay attack. So we could talk about, like, I wrote in my notes, and I know I, know, I wrote, you know, hey, you know, Jared Goff is not playing well, but I wrote somewhere, I said, Goff not good, but Salah is all over McVay, too. Like, I'm not going to let Sean just get away with, like, a free what pass he here. Doing? He just has... Two things. Mm-hmm. First thing is, we talk about the run games and the boots. So effective for them and what they do to set up. So the run game, they're a big attack the weak side bubble team. The bubble again. The bubble again. Yeah. The 49ers, Shanahan taught McVay. Mm-hmm. He knows some of McVay's tricks. They never played weak side bubbles or bubbles at all. They were Because McVay is such an inside-outside zone run scheme offensive coordinator play caller – he doesn't have a lot of the man blocking things we've talked about to go, okay, this is tough for our zone blocking scheme to work against this front. What are we going to go to now? Like we talked about with the Tennessee Titans, they have some other avenues they can go to. Right. Shanahan, who's an inside-outside zone guy too, if you do things to take it away, he's got man blocking schemes too. The Rams are not one of those teams. And they always they have great understanding of how to get an extra safety or slide the linebackers the right way to take away the speed sweep. And then they don't give them those bubble opportunities, let alone they know how to, you know, in certain formations and things, I think they, call, they, they cause chaos by causing certain slants and, and hey, we're going to do a t- an end tackle twist or we're all going to slant weak or all slant strong. It's hard to block that in zone blocking because you're going, wait, if you're a guard, you might be going, hey, I got to get over here to block this guy on my right. I got to try to cut him out to get the outside zone scheme. 
And then all of a sudden, what if he slants away from you? Oh, no, now I can't get out there. Or what if he slants to you and now he's this way? And now you're like, oh, wait, I'm trying to block him. But now you're in the way of another guy who's coming down the line of scrimmage. So they muck it up doing it that way. It's a great approach. Only thing I'll say is what can happen is what we saw with, like, the Cam Akers long run. Right. You call the right run play against all of a sudden it's the right blitz and stunt. And you go 60 yards untouched. But the, the, those big run plays and even the, yeah. the consistent five- or six-yard plays aren't happening as often. If someone wanted to defend yeah. Jared Goff and say, Goff is still fine, defenses, like you just explained, yeah. have figured out his system more. Yes, definitely. And they're not running the ball nearly as well as they used to. Right. It's not Goff as much as it is teams playing them better. And the Rams not running the ball as well. Yeah, is, is that fair? Uh, it is. It is fair. And then, you know, in the struggle like this again, it's you know the two struggles you're talking about the four, last four games. They're yeah. two good defenses. The yeah. 49ers defense. I know Nick Bosa's that. They're still they're damn still good. good. Yeah. You know, anybody wants watch number 90 Givens in the middle of that defense right now. He's everywhere. You know, Fred Warner. Awesome. I he's Player. amazing. <laughs> I watched Darius Leonard who I hold in very high regard, the Colts game, and then I turned on the 49ers game. Very similar. And I went, oh, the same guy, and I just went, well, Fred Warner's better. Yeah. I just, that's, that's, Fred Warner's special. They have so many players there. So, but what I was getting to, though, those, those struggles we've talked about in these two and two, yeah. hey, the Dolphins' defense and Brian Flores are pretty damn good. Yeah. Right? They know how to, they played him in the Super Bowl, too, so he's got an understanding of, like, what they want to do to stop some of the McVay stuff. And now you got a Shanahan Sala who understands it too. So these games aren't going to come around often is what I'm saying. This is, this is the perfect storm of, yes, a, skill, a, a team's um, that's built player-wise that doesn't match up great with us, yeah. and they have the understanding of our scheme, and it's a double whammy of struggles for us on right. offense because of that. Both quarterbacks we talked about recently yeah. in these last couple of games, Derek Carr, Jared Goff, turnovers got them this yeah. weekend. And right. they both can kind of have a history of that. Carr more with the fumbles. Goff is doing them both. Which one of those two quarterbacks do you think uh, will have a better December, better chance of putting it back together and having more wins this next month? I'm going to go with Derek Carr. I mean, I think Derek Carr is the better football player. Derek Carr is the guy that, you know, I, I know you, you, I told you this or you know this. With my, with my quarterback power rankings, he was the guy I thought yeah. about, man, maybe he needs to be in the top ten. Yeah. You know, I, I made him just on the outside looking in. Jared Goff was not in that conversation. You know, and – both have a pretty good support system, mm-hmm. but Carr is, to me, a, a notch or two up as a pure passer compared to Jared Goff. You know? And again, I don't, I'm not, I don't like sitting here talking negative about people, but really, out of starting quarterbacks in football, I don't know if anybody throws a worse ball yeah. than Jared Goff. Right. It never spirals. It's knucklers a lot. You know, it can be not the appropriate touch at times and things like that. It's a hard ball to catch. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's not consistent always either, as we see. And so, yeah, I'm going with Derek Carr there. Part of that's opinion. And yeah. To help that opinion and sake of this conversation, you don't very often see a month go by, and within that month, a quarterback have double-digit turnovers. No, right. So, I mean, Especially on a good football team. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a likely playoff team. 
It is. I, I mean, I would be shocked, uh, you know, if they, they didn't make the playoffs. I really would. I mean, again, we're keeping things in perspective here. Jared Goff is still quality quarterback, and they can win a lot of games, and I wouldn't be shocked if they were in the Super Bowl once again. But it's also the perfect example to go, yeah. damn, you don't need to have Patrick Mahomes and all that sure. all the time to win games and yeah. do that. There's more ways to do it than just, like, having a superstar quarterback who says, get on my back and do that. You would, too, be shocked if they made it to the Super Bowl. Well, it's not like shocking shock. The NFC, I just I look at the NFC as so up for grabs right now. I don't think I would be that shocked. Really? I don't. If the matchups fell the right way, yeah. I mean, why can't the Rams beat Seattle if they have to play it? We just saw them beat them two weeks ago. Okay. You know? Why can't they? Keep going down. So, okay, so let's, uh, how about Green Bay? I, I, I think they can match up with Green Bay a little. Because what, what happens to me with Green Bay is I go, Green Bay can't stop the run. I gotta, so I'd worry about them a little bit. I would worry about that. You know, I think they match up good with a lot of NFC. We saw them beat Tampa Bay. How about New Orleans? New Orleans is the toughest one. Yeah. Because New Orleans has the front to stop the run, the coaches to stop the McVay scheme, and, yeah, I think they match up probably the best. That would be the worst thing for the Rams. We get to late January. They're the NFC title game. You can say, I said on December 2nd. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> that wouldn't. If, I wouldn't be, would be surprised, here. really, of just about any matchup in the NFC other than anybody from the NFC East in the NFC Championship game, and I'll say the Arizona Cardinals. But if you give me Tampa, Rams, Green Bay, Seattle, New Orleans, I really wouldn't be shocked if any of those five were in the NFC Championship game. I I think it's interesting. I think it's good that you include the Rams in that group. I do. After how really talked about. Not going to let one game, you know, you can be a good team and match up with a team that you're better than at poorly. It's just the way the NFL works sometimes. You mentioned the Saints for a moment. Before we get into quarterback jeopardy here, yeah. Taysom Hill. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to hear. I know you spent some time watching him. It was an easy win for right. the Saints over the Broncos. I mean, they had zero passing games. So right. They didn't have to do a whole lot. But in that 31-3 win, Taysom was 9 out of 16, 78 yards, zero touchdowns, one pick. Very, uh, very subpar NFL quarterback numbers. Subpar. Um, and, you know, of course, they're trying to play conservative because they know the only way the Broncos are going to beat us is if their defense scores touchdowns. Right. So, you know, they're going to go into the game already playing conservative. And I think with that aspect of it, as the week unfolds, Sean Payton probably goes, wait, Vic Fangio is pretty good and creative too. Let me not go crazy here with my new young quarterback here and try to, like, show the world he's ready to take everything, you know, by storm and throw lasers all over the football field. So it was dialed back. But it wasn't great by Taysom Hill. I don't care what the the circumstances were. There was some concerning things about the game. You know, whether that's, you know, moments like um, the first third down of the game. He's got somebody right over the middle. It's, I know the read. It's a play I used to have in the John Gruden offense called 25 Seminole. It's in-cut by the slot receiver and then a deeper in-cut by the outside receiver. Inside receiver's open for a 12-yard gain, wide open. He's already moved to the second guy. He never even gave the first guy a chance, right? Things like that. You know, moments of looking at the pocket, you know, and trying to catch that up and then try to look upfield and throw an errant pass. Uh, there was just too many little mistakes like that with bad feel in the pocket or I just went, man, he's not really seeing the field downfield either here. He's throwing a check down and I want to go, no, that guy was open, but he didn't like it. So it was rough around the edges is what I'm saying. Real rough. It didn't give me a, like a warm, cozy feeling to just go, yeah, it wasn't great stats, but he played good. He got unlucky with the interception. No, it wasn't. It was, it was shaky. And 
I think Sean Payton realized pretty early on that, like, oh, wait, he's a little shaky today and not seeing things good. Let me just run the ball, mm-hmm. and we'll run it, run it, run it, and just every now and then we'll have him, you know, make a throw and do something like that. So in his two starts, he's had one really good one. He's had one very average or below average. They didn't need him to be very yep. good. Would you rethink who you put in if Drew's out, let's say, in January? Not yet. Not yet. But, like, if you have another performance like this, Short or maybe two more, I, I would, it would start to concern me a little bit. Yeah. You know, just to go, man, I don't know if we can just run it all day long with Taysom Hill and beat everybody in the NFC playoffs. We need to have some sort of a passing game and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, there's just moments of, you know, like I said, people open downfield and then he doesn't throw it. Um, you know, had a screen play to Alvin Kamara one time where he's dropping back. And, I mean, if he throws it to Kamara, he's going to run for a 70-yard touchdown. There's nobody. He's got four lead blockers. He's going to literally just run behind them, and they're going to run up the field for a touchdown. But he, like, wasn't sure what he was seeing, and then he had to throw it away. Just a lot of weird things like that through the game where I just went, man, he is not comfortable today at all, and it's shaky. And I think, you know, like I said, Sean Payton realized that, and he reined it in pretty quickly. Thankfully, he got to have that kind of game against an opposing quarterback who was a free agent receiver right, from from Wake Forest. Yeah. All right, it is that time. Are you ready? Oh, baby, let's yeah. do it. Quarterback Jeopardy. Man, we like went through that in an hour. I know. I think we set a record today. It was today. efficient. Damn, right. Hold your applause, please. Okay. Game managing here. Presented like by Verizon. With 18 out of 24. <laughs> yeah. Not many yards. Damn, okay, Pete, <laughs> Pete said. All right, here we go. In honor of Tyreek Hill's 269-yard performance that put him 14th all-time on the NFL receiving yard single-game leaderboard, mm. Here's how it's going to work today. Okay. I'll read you a player. Is there a theme today? Was there any theme given here? That's, that, that's the theme. All-time no, I receiving. wasn't. I was still talking about my, what was it, all-time what? All-time receiving Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, good. So, I'm good. And it's happening because Tyreek had 269. Gotcha. I'm, I'm he's caught the, up. He's in the top 20 of all time. Yeah. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to read to you a player who had an all-time receiving day. Yeah. You tell me the quarterback that was Oh, I like this. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. 100. As it should be the easiest one. First place all time, Flipper Anderson. Yes. 336 yards, November of 1989 from right. Rams. Against the, the Saints, right? Yeah. Jim Everett. Yeah. 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 Fuck Flipper Anderson, he man. Get... He, he made Flipper me cry. Cost your dad. He made me right. cry later that year. Oh, that touchdown, like, ran through the tunnel. tunnel. Yeah. Made me cry. Overtime, divisional loss, 1989, Giants yeah. for the number two seed. Uh, it, the Rams are one of those teams, 88, 89, had, had my dad in the number. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, that was, that was a crusher. Jim Everett. This is a side question. Yeah. The year he was a first-round pick, there was one other Big Ten quarterback who was a first-round pick. Ooh. All right, so what year is that, 85-ish? Or? 85 season, 86 draft. 85 season, 86, 86 draft. draft. Mm. And there's a reason, like the reason I, I mean. Okay, I know. Oh, yeah, I know. It's more, but hold on, I'm just trying to think. In that time – because Blackledge is out, that guy's... Yep. Is that um, Schleister? Art Schleister, no. That's a good guess. He was more early 80s. He was a little earlier? Okay. Ohio State, yeah. Hmm. Who is it? Go ahead. Just Chuck, Long. Chuck Long. Chuck yeah, Long. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have came to that. That's the only reason. You know, I sometimes I forget know. he was a first-round pick. I, yeah. I know. Yeah, it I happens. Mean, yes, it does happen. Okay, for 200, December of 2013, much more recent, Josh Gordon had 261 receiving yards for Cleveland in a loss to Jacksonville. Who was his quarterback? Oh, um, late season 2013. So it, if you want to trot out some numbers or, or just some, some names and pick one, that's fine. Like the first name out of your mouth doesn't have to be your answer if you want to brainstorm with us. 
Yeah. Man. Just, just, I mean, part of the process. 2013? 2013. Gosh, damn, it's, life's going it's fast. so many Browns quarterbacks. I know, that's where I'm like. The last 10 years. Hold on, like 10 years. Brandon Whedon wasn't Pete says there. this is the hardest. What did you say? I said Brandon Whedon. Was he there that? That's, that's Brandon Whedon, isn't it? I just said that. Yeah! Woo! <laughs> he wasn't going to go. Booyah! Pete. Pete Pete says I have a bad poker face. When I said Brandon Whedon, you literally went. Well, Pete just told me. I was dealing with with Pete. I got it. I was going to guess Brandon Whedon. Pete said this is the hardest one, Paul. He's not going to get it. Yeah. You said Brandon Whedon. Hey, screw both of you, okay? Yeah, I know, right? All right? Yeah, it is Pete and I against you. Yes. I I appreciate that effect now. Brandon Whedon. Here we go. I'm on fire, 2-0. I thought you might go like Charlie Fry. I was Bruce Gradkowski. Name went through my his my head. Brady Quinn. Fry went through my head. Brady Quinn was the next one that went through my head. Yeah. But I I I don't know why, but with Gordon, Whedon seemed to yeah, be the right. quarterback at least in my memories with him and the Browns. Okay, here we go. Three hundred, the playoff record for most receiving yards in a game held by Eric Moulds. Nineteen ninety nine wild card loss to Rob the Johnson. Who was his quarterback that day? Is is that your answer? That is my answer. That they benched Doug Flutie. That was premature. Oh, wait. It was Doug Flutie. He got a little overconfident. Wait, wait. What game was he this? Say this again. Seconds. What? This was the playoff game? Playoff game. It was a playoff record. against The, the Dolphins. Dolphins won. I jumped you did. the Music City Miracle. You were feeling so What good. a jerk I am. Oh, really I would have got that right, too. I, that's what I get. Okay, fine. Yeah. I did. I totally blew it. Doug Flutie. Pete is as excited as he's He's happy. In the history of the quarterback. (laughs) Damn, that might have been like one of the easiest ones. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty easy, too. Gosh. Still, you're two out of three. Yeah. You're doing fine. I'm really three out of three in my own mind. Now, this is the one. Pete sent me an email saying, include this one. Okay. this This one, I think... Should be like a 700. Is this the question? one I heard you guys said the name of the receiver yeah, before? I didn't yeah. even know the name, so I'm going to have to hear the team. And then okay. I'll... 400. Yeah. The first player to catch 300 yards in a game, Lions receiver Klois Box. I know you're familiar with the Klois Box game. You know it. Okay, he caught 302. They got her. Oof, Klois Box? Four touchdowns against the Baltimore Colts back in 1950. His record stood for 35 years. So this is 50s. He's on the Lions. Who was the quarterback? Nobody can stop the Bobby Lane to Cloyce Box connection. So easy. Nobody can stop I that. There was no way. <laughs> it's Texas. Lane to Box. You know, I, I know my Texas quarterback. Oh, that's right. He Bobby Lane's Texas, Texas ties. I ain't going to forget about that. All right. All right. You know? Should, should have been. He was one of those guys I was going, man, I hope I can be as good as him one day when I was down there at that school. So, yeah. yeah I mean, he's. People still talk about Bobby definitely. Lane. Definitely. And, you know, Texas does a great job of just keeping the history of the program throughout our pictures facility and pictures and everything like that. And, and Bobby Lane, yeah, come on. What? Pete saying something? Pete says, can you name another 1950s Lions quarterback? Hmm. George Plimpton doesn't count because he wrote that book. No. Camp with him. Oh. Paper Lion. <laughs> That's right. George Plimpton. That's yeah. funny. Wait, 1950s. I know there's another one I'm missing here. Uh, I don't know. I can't say anybody right off the top of my We've head. We've big on the Lions quarterbacks. The, the Chuck Long side question and the Bobby Lane for 400. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know. Did the Lions play football in the 60s and 70s? <laughs> I'm sorry, Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 500. November of 2006, Lee Evans from Wisconsin. Remember Lee Evans? Yeah. Lee Evans racked up 265 receiving yards in a Buffalo win over Houston. 
What year was this again? 06. 06. It was on the other end of his 11 receptions. Wow. 06, and you're coming at me with J.P. Lossman? Yeah. Damn, I'm good. Yeah. You know it. That was too easy. Uh, yep. You took such pride in not breaking a stride there either. Man, yeah. yeah. I thought I had you with J.P. No, no. It's my draft class. Oh, no, he's the year no, after no, me. No, yeah, he's the year after me. Yeah. I played against him my senior year at Texas. He was a junior at Tulane. At Tulane. You guys played Tulane? We played Tulane, yeah. What were your numbers? Uh, you know what? I mean, they were good, but they weren't like – they kind of gave us a few little issues that day. I mean, I, I, we won comfortably, but it wasn't like, oh, we steamrolled them. We had to work for it a little bit. We ended up winning by like 20 or 25. It was one of those early September games it, you were supposed to it, win. It like, was like that, and seven. they came out, and it was like, whoa, they're playing some defenses that are different than us, and whoa, this quarterback over there, he can throw the ball a little bit. Like, it, it caught us by surprise. It took us a little while to settle into the game. You went out for dinner with your family after. You weren't that happy. Well, no, because it was in New Orleans, so we had to play there, play there in this there? empty Superdome, right? I don't Texas know why. Too late. I, they must have paid us $70 zillion. I don't know. I don't know. You know. And still it was empty. Yeah, it was. I'm very <laughs> it was all Texas fans. Four out of five. I thought you'd get Really it. got five out of five. Good job. I mean. Good job. I'm going this, home. Can we do this in COVID? Oh, yeah. we did it. Okay. Bam. All right. All right, I'll wash my hand after. <laughs> the most efficient. Yeah. Unbuttoned ever. Thank you. Most efficient ever. No yeah. doubt about it. Good job. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Hope we answered all the questions out there. Um, again, stay with us. Keep sending questions social media-wise. I, Pete, will do the best we can to answer some of the good ones out there and, and give you some football X's and O's. But have a good week. Enjoy Wednesday afternoon football. I got? can't wait. Who you got? Oh, I'm going, I'm going Steelers. Yep. I don't think they're going to steamroll them. Uh, I originally, before all this happened, was going, I'm going to go with the Ravens to win this one. Yeah. But no Lamar, all the COVID-19 issues. I can't pick against not the Steelers with this. But I do, I do not think it'll be easy. RG3 will be no... He'll be no chop liver. I think he'll deliver some good plays and be able to move that ball a little bit. It's going to be like Texas against Tulane in 2002. <laughs> That's what you're saying? Yeah. They struggle early and then blow, blow exactly them away? Like it. Okay. Definitely there you go. Paulie Burmeister. He's got it. All right, everybody, be good. Chris Sims Unbuttoned, presented by Verizon. Tomorrow, PFT, PM, Chris Sims Unbuttoned collaboration. The Megapix podcast telling you, listen, you know, again, I don't know what games to bet on, but I picked the winners and the losers pretty damn good. And then you can figure out what to bet on. Peace out. I'm done. Paulie, you're awesome. Good to see you, man. See you, man. See you soon. Be good. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call. Text or chat 988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.